Hey, everybody, we're talking to a special guest today. Actually, we want to welcome her back. She's an amazing woman. But first, we want to thank our listeners. Now, there's over 29 countries tuning in to the last 10%. That's mind-blowing. So over the last month, we've seen listeners come up from South Africa, Portugal, and even Slovenia. We see you, Slovenia, on the map and listening to the last 10%. So we want to thank all of our international listeners, especially we want to thank our listeners in the United States of America. And it was an amazing month. In August, we actually set download records across the board. It was the largest number of downloads of the last 10% in the month of August that we've ever had in the history of the show. So thank you for listening to the last 10%. And thank you for sharing the last 10% because, man, it's starting to catch on. People are starting to listen to the show, and they're really seeming to enjoy it. We've gotten a lot of positive feedback. We've had a lot of amazing guests. So one thing I would like to ask, and I'm the worst salesman ever. We don't ask a lot on the show. We don't make pitches a lot. But today, especially today, since we had such a good month in August, if you're enjoying some of the amazing episodes that we're having, some of the mental coaches that we've had on, some of the great athletes that we've had on, the great business people we've had on, just some of the amazing talent that we've had on the show. If you've been inspired, if you've been equipped, if you've been educated, it would really help us a lot if, number one, you subscribe to the show, number two, you rate the show, and number three, man, it would make all the difference in the world if you would leave a review for the last 10%. If you've had someone that you've just really been inspired by on the last 10% in terms of being equipped, would you write that in a review? Would you hit the pause button right now, if you're not driving, it, would you hit the pause button right now and just take 30 seconds to leave a review? It really helps increase our listenership. So if you don't mind, rate and review this podcast. That would mean a lot to us and would help us continue to grow and continue to gain listeners all over the world. So now. On with the show. You definitely don't want to miss this conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett, dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett in Thrive Studios, sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair. But more importantly, we have a great guest today. She is back by popular demand, the Enneagram expert, entrepreneur extraordinaire, my wife. Welcome back to the show, Danielle. (laughs) I am very thankful to be here today. Thanks, Dallas. Yes, absolutely. So it's been a while since we've had you on the show. We had a best of episode last last December. I think mm-hmm. you were on and we did some Enneagrams talks last year. So we have decided that it was time to start jumping into the Enneagram in more detail and start and start helping get that information out to our listeners because there's something that's happened since the last time that you were on the show. Big change. Number actually two things. 
as it relates to the Enneagram. So number one, we actually added, you actually added a whole new section to our Enneagram assessments about how the Enneagram, how you can use the Enneagram on teams at work. So we dropped back and we said, how can we make this better for listeners and for our audience and for the Think Move Thrive, for the Think Move Thrive folks that are looking at the Enneagram and downloading these assessments. And one of the things that we found and heard about is could we differentiate ourselves in this Enneagram by giving that to So that's the first thing is that we added a whole new section to the Enneagram assessment report when you get it. The second thing is, and this is even bigger, is that they're completely free now. You don't just get the, yeah. you just don't get the little summary page at the end. When you take the assessment on thinkmovethrive.com, when you take your Enneagram, you get the whole thing. You get the whole thing. That's pretty amazing. So that's, yeah, that's something yeah. that's happened. But what we want to do is today, and, I, and this is why we have you on the show, and we're excited about that, is we want to talk about, we want to start unpacking each type. And we want to just yeah. have a show dedicated to each type. And so today... I think we want to start at the beginning. Let's start with the, let's start with Enneagram type one. Can you tell our listeners about the Enneagram one type in just everyday layman terms? Sure. If anyone's new to the show and they've really not heard about the Enneagram, it's simply a tool that you can use to uncover, yes, your personality, strengths, weaknesses, things like that, but it really uncovers your motivation, some things that maybe lie below the surface for you. And if not you, your coworker, your spouse, your friend, even your children. So I see, I think it's a great tool. It's a great tool for self-awareness. And yeah, Dallas, you and I have found that this is great in teams, in companies to just get teams to work better, more closely, kind of understand each other better. So sure. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about this type one. And there's just so much to say about the type one. And in fact, one of our children kind of leans towards some of these things that's included in type one. So I'm sure we'll talk about some of those and put some examples yeah, yeah. into some of these words. But essentially in our report, and if you Google the Enneagram, you'll find that a couple words will come up for each type. So I'll just start with that. So a couple of the words that we thought resonated when we think about this person who's the type one is a moralist. And when I think of that, I think of the person who really has a right and wrong and strong ethics surrounding what's right, what's wrong. And I would even go further to say is that they really stand upon making things right, doing things right. And that comes down to even in, even in the way they're dressed and even making sure that their car is clean and things like that. It's just that rightness for that person. Mm. So moralist, another word would be reformer, perfectionist. Mm. You could use that. Sometimes that has a negative connotation, that perfectionist. But I think if you're a type one, it doesn't have to be a bad thing that you're a perfectionist. I think you're going back to that moralist concept and idea. It just means that you want things done right. And there's really strength in that. And then the yeah. last one that I would use to describe the type one is an improver. And I have mm. some friends who are type one and I have seen this through and through where a type one will see some kind of need in a friend or a family member or a child. And they will really rally around that person to a high level, to a high degree, and they will, you know, champion the cause. They'll, whatever needs to be done, they're the first to say, this needs to be done. We're going to improve this situation. So I really, all the types in the Enneagram are wonderful, but this is also just, it is just a wonderful type. And so I want to applaud all the ones out there. If you're listening, you're a type one, you're going to learn a lot about yourself as we just move through this, this information. But also maybe you're not a type one, maybe your teammate at work or 
you know, your boss or your child or your friend or your spouse is a type one. So hopefully through the things we talk about, you can learn a little bit more about that type of a person. So. Yeah, I think that is fantastic. And I, it's interesting to me because I think with any assessment and I'm an, asse- I'm an, uh, I'm a, I'm an assessment junkie. I've, we've both taken a tremendous amount of assessments. I've seen them all. But one of the things I think is interesting and some people may get turned off about assessments is they feel like they are put in a box. So when we describe a number one Enneagram, I know you feel strongly about this. So how would you frame that for people who are like, I don't want to, I don't want to know about this Enneagram because I'm not just a perfectionist. Like if that there's a negative mm-hmm. connotation, some people would have that word. How would you frame that up for people and why the Enneagram would be important? And even though there's, there is some labels there, how do you frame and capture that idea? I think that's a great question. So the Enneagram really doesn't really put you in a box because there's all these wild words. And if you take our assessment, we go through what they mean. But essentially, if you come up and you answer the questions on our assessment or any assessment online, and you are a type one, what you'll find is that your dominant type would be type one. But then on either side of that Enneagram circle, you might lean a little to the the type to the left, or you might lean a little bit to the type to the right. And so on for the type one, for instance, there's the two on the one side and then the nine on the other side. So I'll just, for example, one of our daughters, I'm pretty sure she's like really a type two, maybe leaning towards the one, or she might be a type one leaning towards a two. But all that to say, there's just so much flexibility within within the Enneagram because it doesn't say every type one is going to be a certain way. It just suggests these are some characteristics. These are some strengths. These are also some things to watch out for. You could call them weaknesses, but just things to be aware of with each type. So I think that it doesn't put you in a box, really. And then there's this other concept where it talks about wings and arrows. And when you're in strength, they'll move it to a type seven. And then in stress, they'll move to a type four. So really just having an awareness of those types also will help a number one figure out like, oh, I am really doing well in my life because I'm adapting to this set, you know, bringing in the seven personality and what a seven brings to a one is a lot of spontaneity, a lot of flexibility. So anyway, we'll get more into that. But back oh. to your original question, there is so much flexibility in the Enneagram. And I don't think that anyone, when they start studying their type, I don't think they'll feel put in a box at all. I really think that light bulbs will go off and they'll think, man, I'm learning so much about myself and that's true of me and that's true of me. And I think that's the hope. You can take any test and it can come back as whatever the result is. But really the best tool for you, maybe you shouldn't even take the test. Maybe you should just read about the types. And I've heard people say that about the Enneagram because when you read the type that resonates with you, you will know it. And you'll go, oh Mm. my goodness, I am that That way. That's true. And that's how it worked for me. And I think that's how it worked for you too. And then there's these like weird little nuances with each type that you're like, oh, that is so weird that they pegged me that way. I think that's interesting that you point that out is that the Enneagram is assigning types, but not necessarily labels. And because each type has so many different facets to it, I've worked with a lot of number ones on the Enneagram and they're totally different. Like if you didn't know they were number one, it would be like, wow how do I quantify this? Because these people are acting till then, but there's the healthy and unhealthy versions of those or under stress mm-hmm. and in thriving versions of those. And then there's the wings that they kind of lean one way. Or the other. So you can have, you can, you can see this person and they could be a number one, 
And what I think is really interesting is it really gets down to your core drives or core fear, right? There's this, there's these mm-hmm. things that are very important to you and they're just going to come out and manifest themselves because you are who you are and, mm-hmm. and, and you've had the experiences that you've had and you're made the certain way. And there's these core things that you're driven by and you can be driven in a positive way or you can be driven in a negative way. You can be more flexible. You can be less. And so I think it's really cool. So. Let's talk about, let's talk about number ones as they are in an, in a, a business environment. If they're healthy, number ones, what do they, what does that look like? Okay. That's a great question. They're orderly. They're going to be self-disciplined. So when they come into work, they're going to know what they need to do. They're going to do it. It goes back to that idea of being an improver, a reformer, and even being a moralist. They're very principled in what they're going to do. They also are very fair. With employees, you could even call it rightness, this idea for rightness that can come across as critical in some situations because Mm. they're really striving for things to be principled, for things to be orderly, for things to be planned out, detailed, because that's just how they are. That's what's what they bring to the table. And I'll give a quick example of that. We have some, what of a family band and we'll play together out at different things and events. And you're telling all our, kind of secrets now. You're telling yes. all kind of secrets now. This is going so out over the our, world. Be careful. Yeah. One of our daughters will get really, I'm not sure the word to say, but she'll get really aware. That's nicely putting it. If we accidentally <laughs> douse her eye or one of the other girls change the key of the silk. And she's, oh, which I am notorious me. for doing. That is a half step up or that is a half step down. And so what she brings to us is really beautiful. She's very detail oriented. She remembers all the words to all the songs. And yes, that is true. She brings that like she's in another word I could use is very reliable. Like she'll say, that's not quite right. But she knows it's not quite right. And so I think the negative side of that could be that she might look at us and say, oh, these terrible human beings, <laughs> they never get it right. <laughs> <laughs> And she might do that, but she doesn't actually verbalize that. So in a healthy way, she's just pointing it out. So like back to your question on a team, this person is very reliable to point out any kind of variances, flaws, where things are not held up to the level or the standard that they're supposed to be. And in a negative way, that person that's the one type could find themselves very aggravated if they're on a team of all these people who are out-of-the-box thinkers and they're not quite as principled and not quite as I would even use the word rigid about things being just right so that anyway the negative side could be that criticalness comes through yeah I've had that experience with number ones I had a number one as a manager in a company and that person was was just so quick to be honest with me about a policy change, if we wanted to implement this, or if we needed to implement something, or if there was a process that wasn't working right, it was, it was like, as soon as she was promoted to that position, it was like immediately she just came and said, can I change these things? Cause they're driving me crazy. These, this is mm-hmm. all the things that we need. And it was unbelievable how they were actually right. It was, it was true. And yet that team had lived with that for so long that they were okay with it. But yeah. she could see all those things. She was very respectful in her approach to that. Just very open and like, hey, if you've got a problem with this, let me know. But I see these are the issues that we have. And then also with some policy stuff is we need to do this for this person. She was absolutely a rock star at 
recognizing people on their birthday and making sure they felt cared for. And there was a, there was a right way to do that. And this is mm -hmm. the right way. And it wasn't too much and it wasn't too little and it was just right. And so if you've got somebody mm -hmm. on your team, that is that person that's constantly coming to you and saying, Hey, we need to do this. This is good. They have an opinion. I think number one's mm -hmm. they have an opinion about things. They do. You know, You're right. The right way. And so if you've got somebody with an opinion, then you may have a number one that you're working with. It's yeah. great. Yeah, I think, and I, what comes to mind, Dallas, when you're saying that, and I love that example, is if you are a manager or even a teammate of this person, ask yourself, is this person improving the environment, the policies, the like even acknowledging the birthdays? Like, are they improving the environment? Because that could be a telltale sign, like they're geared to improve. Like they're geared to see things in a detailed way that could be bettered. And they'll, and they'll do that. They'll bring that energy to your team. And that's a really great, that's a really great quality of somebody to work now, with. I've, yeah. I've got to say this though, on the flip side, I've had, it's not the same person, different person I've worked with in the past. It's also a number one. And they were super detail oriented, which is not necessarily, it's, it can be a trait, but not necessarily, but they were so perfection driven and detail oriented that it drove them to a place of being hypercritical and their productivity suffered tremendously. So they, it's almost like they could not get their work done unless everything was perfect. And because mm. nothing is ever perfect, they could, it's almost like they couldn't function and get their core job, their core job done. And they were real negative and the whole team kind of suffered from it because they were quick to point out flaws and mistakes and they weren't necessarily making things better. It was a negative energy mm -hmm. on the team. So let's talk about that a little bit as a number one. What is a number one that may not be healthy look like and what, how's that going to play out on a team? Well, that's a great question. So going back to this terminology that we use in the Enneagram, an arrow is essentially when you look at the Enneagram circle, it, it suggests where one type will move and they'll take on some negative characteristics of another type. And so for the number one type, they move to the four. And the four, just to give you a little synopsis, is like very unique. They're sort of an individualist. They want to stand out. Like they're the person who has like an amazingly unique outfit or shoes or something like that. I mean, not always, but that just kind of comes to mind as a stereotype of that type. In a negative way, so a one might take on these characteristics, they can be very emotional when they're not healthy, a four. And so mm. normally a number one is very put together in, in a healthy place. When they're in a healthy place, they are not very emotional. They're not really barky. They're not really overtly angry. If they are, they wouldn't show it. But when they're in an unhealthy place, maybe there's so much stress placed upon them. Maybe it's an external thing or maybe it's an internal thing. Mm. The, the thing you were just describing, like maybe they're feeling I'm not good enough. Like I need mm. to improve myself and I can't measure up. Maybe mm. I can't live up to the perfection that I've set for myself. And so mm. if that happens in this type, then that's really shattering because they are so geared towards improvement and perfection and everything being just right. And so when that happens, this type one in this real stressful place can feel like the world's turned upside down. They usually wouldn't cry, but you might find them crying. Other types cry all the time, but this type typically doesn't cry that often. But when their world's turned upside down and they're stressed out and they could use the word overwhelmed, 
they just feel like nobody sees me, you know. And then also a characteristic of this type one type in the stressful place is that they'll start blaming. They'll start saying, oh, this was this person's fault in my upbringing or oh, this is this mm. person's fault in my team. And so what does that do in that stressful place for this? Number one, it makes everybody around them not really want to help. It becomes yes. like a real rigid walking on eggshells kind of environment. Mm. And you just see that number one who's unhealthy, like really spiraling because nobody wants to come in and help them. Yeah. Um, no, that's well, what what's interesting to me that you say that is when I think about that on the number one side, I've never really thought about that. I, I can understand the drive for perfection and improving and reforming. And I can understand how that could go to an unhealthy extreme. So if you are driven to perfection to the point where you're just driving everybody crazy because you just, you're trying to make things perfect instead of making them better, right? Then I can yeah. see how that is a problem. But I've never really thought about it as it relates to yourself in that your own personal standards are so high for yourself that it's almost like you can't even meet them in a way that allows you to function or you have this guilt and shame associated with that and or you can't accept that. So you're putting the blame on other people. And I think that's an interesting I've just never really thought about that as it relates to number ones in an unhealthy oh. way. And, and so if you're on a team, that, that would make sense. Yeah, it would. And some things that I would recommend for really any type, but particularly this type, when they find themselves in that low, stressful place, because that's a very lonely place. And it's kind of like you throw your hands up and you're like, I don't know what to do. I think journaling is super helpful in saying, mm. this is what I have set for myself as a standard. Just seeing that is super helpful because then you could make sense of it. But sometimes when things are coming in our thought life, so quickly, they're hard to slow down those thoughts. And so looking at that in a journal and then writing out underneath the, underneath that statement, is that reasonable? Am I putting too much on myself? You know, that helps you see maybe you are being a little hard on yourself. Some other things that I think are helpful for a type one is meditating on positive statements. And so in our report, we have some of those verses, different quotes, just so that you can tell yourself, I am enough. And I don't have to be this certain thing or do this certain thing. Like I'm enough right now because I mm. think this constant strive for perfection, it can be just really exhausting. And so to take the kind of idea of a number one to another place else, I don't want to miss out on the strengths of a very healthy and a secure number one. Yeah, the secure number one, that. and this is interesting. So in the unhealthy place, the one will move to a four, but in a very healthy great place. A number one will move to a type seven. A type seven's real spontaneous. They're real life of the party, like real fun, like real jovial, laughing a lot, adventurous. That's a type seven. So when you think of a type one, you don't normally think type seven. But what I would submit is right. in this idea of an arrow that when a type one takes on some of those characteristics of adventure, spontaneity, you know, laying back in the chair and laughing, just kind of like a little yeah. bit more flexibility then that number one within their own self becomes more at peace because yeah. they're able to lessen their standards. I'm not trying to say they're not moral anymore. They're just lessening that internal the, quote they put a, or something. They let, they, they, as we would say, they give it a little wiggle room, right? They have a little bit of space there, a little bit of margin. I think that's really good because it just, the flexibility, it, it takes out the rigidity. 
And I yeah. think it, it would help the one be more able to cope because things, if it, if you're, if you have to have it perfect and there's no flexibility in that and life is just not perfect, then that is a hard, that's a hard thing because you, mm -hmm. you're just going to be constantly defeated or pushing against something that's the immovable object. So I feel like that having that flexibility that with a seven would just, it would allow you to just kind of, I don't know, be more free, mm -hmm. be more free to be your, be the improver, but know when to be like, all right, that's good enough. This is good. Mm -hmm. We can make this work. Right. So mm -hmm. I think that's really good. Yeah. I also like how you said that there, there's some little tricks and tips there. If you're a number one and you find yourself in an unhealthy space, we want to get you to where we, we need you on a team to bring your best. And we, you have so many gifts and talents that you can bring to a team. I love how you, you, you said that it's something as simple as just meditating on positive things and positive ideas and those affirmations, those meditative statements, and really checking in your beliefs on what are, what is that, what's that going off in your head? What's that loop telling you? What are you, what that self-talk? And then journaling just to get that out on paper. I thought that was a really good statement yeah. for number one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, like I think that, that yeah. oh, I was just going to say is attack on, I'll just go ahead and give some that come to mind as an affirmation or a verse of some encouragement that a number one could meditate on, even write it down and journal upon it and then think about it. But one would be from Ephesians that says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Be kind and mm -hmm. compassionate to one another. And what I would submit to a number one type is that they need to be kind and compassionate to themselves mm -hmm. first. And so getting rid of the idea of in this verse, why I think it's appropriate, it's like getting rid of all criticalness for yourself, for your family member. If somebody doesn't do, let's say, make up the bed quite right, just let it go. <laughs> think about a seven. Just be a little bit more fluid, a little bit more flexible, and just be like, oh, at least they tried. And so don't let it, like this verse says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Don't let that standard of perfection, like, get you angry, right? Just be, be thankful. Ponder the thankful thing and be kind and compassionate to yourself yeah. and to one another. I really like that. I think that would be something that this type would really benefit from just to daily kind of think that through and even put it on their mirror and kind of ponder that as each day goes by. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. The leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one -on -one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams, we help technical managers be more relational, and we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful, we created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one -on -one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. That's a good point. That's a good point. Now, I want to move this over to a coach. And so in our report, 
we have some, the, in fact, it's towards the end. There are superpowers that the number one, each type has superpowers, but there's specific superpowers that the number one has as it relates to coaching. Now, we are passionate about coaching and the one-on-one coaching system, and we want to help teams empower their leaders to become leader coaches and develop everybody in their organization, whether that's a nonprofit or whether that's a for-profit, large organization, small organization, big team, little team. We want you to integrate coaching and development into that. And so what are some of the cool superpowers that the number one would have as it relates Mm -hmm. to if they were developing and coaching you, if you're being led by a healthy number one, what would you expect to see? Mm, I love that question. They would be very attentive to detail. So when they were sitting in Mm -hmm. front of or being around an employee that they might be coaching, they would notice things. They would notice Hmm, is this employee happy or are they not? Or are they doing their job or are they not? They would just be really keen to, to cue in on the employee's temperament. Even maybe, you know, some things that might be going on outside of the scope of their work because they're just so intent on thinking about the details. And then another thing is this number one has high standards. So if they notice an employee or someone they're coaching has the ability to move up or improve a number one coach, they're going to quickly be able to identify that. And they're going to be able to help say, hey, if I were using myself as an example, they might say, hey, Danielle, I think if you were a little more organized, you might be able to reach the goal of being whatever the next step is in the company. And most of the time, that number one is going to be able to see quickly what that is. They're going to be able to identify that And they would want to help walk hand in hand with that employee to get to that better place to meet their goals. And I really like that. I think that's a great superpower of this type. And then lastly, they always want to improve. They want to have continuous improvement in learning and in developing their self and in developing their team. So I think this type one would want to look outside of their organization. And so they might go, they might come back and say, hey, we need to invest in this leadership training. We might need to invest in this new technology so that we can have continuous improvement in our team. So I, do, I truly think that this type is a wonderful person to have on your team, whether they be the one being coached or the coach themselves. So, All right. You talk about development. That's a great point. And if they like being developed and continuous improvement, what would be an example of a book or a category of books that you would recommend if you are a number one on the Enneagram, what is Danielle's recommendation for something you should be reading to develop if you want to improve and move into more of that healthy space of a number one? Mm, That's a good question. Wow. I've got my thoughts. I've got my, I've got my, the first, to be honest, the first thing that came to mind and this is counterintuitive, but the book Fish, I really like that book. Ooh, that's a yeah. good one. That's a well, good one. the reason I would choose it, and it came top of mind, I probably have other ones and you might have others that would be a beautiful book choice for this type. But the reason I choose that one is because sometimes this type one can get so rigid and down in the details because that's their strength, right? Like you said, that's their superpower. Right. You can get so enmeshed into that that it's hard to come up for air. And so what fish does is it shows you need to have fun at work. And I really like that. And not only can you be productive and you can improve the environment and do all great things in your work, but you can have a lot of fun. And I think that 
when we talk about the type one, when they go to that seven type, when they're most healthy, and I've called it jokingly called it like the one is in seventh heaven or whatever, <laughs> when they're embracing uh, flexibility and spontaneousness, I think that fish brings all of that to the type one. So I would recommend that for sure. Uh, that's a, that's a better recommendation. See, I was so bored. Off the top of you, my hand really there. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. And so just for the listeners that have never read fish before, it's called the fish philosophy. And essentially it is a if you've ever gone to, I think it's Pike's Seafood out in our fish market, Pike's Fish Market mm-hmm. out in Seattle, Pike's Seattle Fish Market. Anyway, it's this fish I market. I need to be on our bucket Seattle. list, babe. <laughs> I know we need to put that on the list, but they, but you go there and they this is like the open market where they're throwing fish that's just come off the boat and everybody, it's a scene. They're like walking around chasing kids with like dead octopuses and stuff on these videos. And it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, they, one thing they do is they have a lot of fun. And if you can, and you can just see that everybody there really enjoys their job. And then they're chopping up dead fish every day for a living. And so if you mm-hmm. can sit there and smell like a dead fish and love your work, I think their whole thing is, how do you do that? How do you build a culture like that? And it's a great book. And it's great because it's a, a little business fable and it's easy to read and easy to digest. But I think that to your point, actually, I love that. I love that book. Yeah, it's a great book I love anyway, it too. But for a number I'm one. I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you know, that was a good answer, Daniel. <laughs> it really was, you know. <laughs> And you yeah. put me on the spot there. I was like, oh, yeah, no. I wasn't prepared well, for that. And it resonates because one of, their, one of their main points is to make their day. Make their day. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Choose your attitude. All those are just right down the center line of what we're talking about for number one. So and really what I think totally it win is it the, gets... You totally win the book award. You totally win. Thank you. I should get some kind of award. Uh, but uh, what I was going to say is just to cap one. that off. I think that when a number one uses all their superpowers and couples it with all of those things, those philosophies that fish suggest, I think they, you know, can't be beat. Like, I just think that is the perfect combination of That's the combination. making people day, yeah. but yet holding the standard. And anyway, I love it. What was your choice? Maybe, I, can, maybe I don't even know. I don't even think that, I don't even think I can share mine now. It's, it's <laughs> such a, it's not even, it's so second place. I don't even think I can, I don't even feel good about it now. Love I feel, it. actually, I feel pretty insecure about it. I will say this. I will say this as I'm a number seven, as you can attest. And I would say that on one side, I think unhealthy number ones probably are a a part of a handful of ones on the Enneagram that I struggle with the most as a leader. It's just, that's that whole sandpaper thing. It just, or like fingers on the chalkboard. It's like, ooh. But Probably yet, the rigidity, right? Would you say, Dallas? Yes. Somebody's in an unhealthy place. They're very, very black and white, very rigid. Killing me, killing me. And really, it really, it just struggled for me. I'm on the struggle bus with that. However, what I would say is a healthy number one turns out to be one of the most refreshing people that I work with. Yes. Because they're so attentive to detail. They catch all the stuff that I run, I just completely blow by and don't think about. Would you and say they're, they're like, very hey, responsible yeah. and reliable? I think that's yeah, what you like yes, about. Yes, yes, 100%. So that's, so that's very interesting. And so I would say this, if you're leading a team, don't just assume if someone is a certain type that you're going to not like them because there's so many facets to everybody. They, everybody, every type has these values and superpowers they bring to the team, they bring as leaders, they bring as team members. And it's really about figuring out who they are and where they are in all of that that really helps you to be able to maximize. If you're developing a number one and you're engaging with them, you may be rubbing on each other a little bit, but if you can understand them and then Mm -hmm. they can grow as a number one, that may turn into the best, that may turn into your greatest ally and asset that you've got on your team. And so, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so don't mark people off. Yeah, and I think too, Dallas, that's a great point. 
let's say as a boss, you're leading a number one, and let's say you're always late to the meeting, that's not going to go well for them, right? Because they like <laughs> things to be right. So yeah. you would never know that unless you understood what a number one is. And so yes. having the understanding of what's important to a number one is going to help you lead that person, make your office environment more pleasing, and you're just going to get them. And likewise, as we discuss all the different types in subsequent episodes, I think it's real important to just understand who these people are. And Dallas and I, Dallas, we can attest to, we've seen this work in real time in team situations where these teams, they didn't really like each other. And then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, that's why she's like that. Or that's why he's like that. And so you can just understand a little bit better. Lastly, the only thing else I wanted to say, Dallas, is that in the Enneagram, there's a thing called triads because there's nine types. There's three groups of three. And this is interesting about a number one. So on your team, this could be helpful that the number one, the number eight, and the number nine are all in a triad where they process decision-making, they process decisions and emotion in a similar way, that eight, nine, and one types. And what I would call that and what we call that in our report is a gut response, like a gut type decision. Mm. And so Mm. the strength of that is that when you have a quick decision, or even a decision that doesn't even need to be quick, they can tell you pretty quickly, I want to go to that restaurant, or this is the decision we need to move in for our company, or yes, that person's going to be a good hire. And they're just able to make a decision quickly. And depending on the health of the person, maybe it's a good or bad decision. But what I would just say is that the way they process information is going to be pretty quick. Um, and so with the other triads being some, this feeling in the two, three, and four type, and then the thinking in the five, six, and seven, and we can get into all that other stuff. But sometimes that rubs on each other. Sometimes that quick thinker rubs on the person who really needs to mull over the decision for like 30 minutes. I mean, like I'm a hard feeler person. And when a gut person makes a quick decision, especially when it's about something important, I'm just like, I'm just like, what? How do they make that decision so quickly? And it just, I I just, I'm like, okay, you make that decision for you, but I've got to think about this a little bit more. So uh, anyways, just understanding that I think is real helpful to understand that about that type one and how they make decisions. I feel like there's a, I think, I wonder if there's the reason psychologically that they have such a strong moral framework, mm-hmm. such a strong moral right. It's almost like it just runs it through those filters really quick. And this, the answer is so apparent. It's, of course it's this because this is right. There's, it, you don't have to think about it. You don't have to look at the numbers because this is it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the why, but uh, but it is true, and that's that's a good point that they yeah. are good gut decision makers and and quick decision makers on that. That's cool. All right. Well, hey, thanks for thanks for unpacking the number one on the enneagram. We're just we've decided this before the show. We're just going to do these sporadically throughout because we've got other guests lined up for the fall, but we wanted to get this out there so that we can have it on the website as another resource. We already got the report out there for free, but having sometimes people like to digest information different ways. And so we want to get the podcast out there as well. And you've done several of these Enneagram workshops recently. So it's very good to have these out in case other people want some resources around that. One of the cool things that we have coming up, this is the announcement time for Think Move Thrive and some cool things that are coming. I guess the last time you're on the show, this is a good time to talk about it. The last time you're on the show, we made this like super big time secret announcement of the name of the book that we have coming out. And we, we shared the name with Lyft 
And then we were like, hey, it's coming out in January and maybe February. And then it was like, well, it didn't show up. And so then we had people reaching out to us going, hey, what is the deal, man? You guys were supposed to have this book coming out. And so I just want to take a minute to tell everybody what in the world happened, what's going on. And <laughs> the long and short of it is, have you ever tried to write a book? If you try to write a book, you know, it's brutal. It's a brutal process. <laughs> and so back when we, back when in 2018, we came up with Move, people don't realize like we, I wrote Move and I sent it to our editor at the time and she was out in Kansas. And I remember getting it back the first copy. And when I sent it to her, I got to be honest, I'd never written a book before. I sent her the first draft and I was like, I'm not a writer, but this is going to be pretty amazing. She's probably going to get and be like, what? You know, you're the best, Dallas. I'm impressed and, with uh, you, Dallas. I'm so impressed with your writing. Where did yeah. you come from? Did you graduate from Harvard? And that is exactly the opposite of what happened. I got the manuscript back in and I was looking at the page and I was like, maybe the red words are what we're supposed to keep and the black words on the page are what we're supposed to get rid of. Maybe it's in reverse. <laughs> that is not what happened. The red words, she essentially, she marked up the entire document. But it was a great experience for me. We went through a year of rewriting over and over and over and over again after the book was written. So it was a year to write it, another year to edit it. And the process is crazy. So this time we're doing it differently. It's a different kind of book than Move. Lift is a business fable, similar to what you actually mentioned earlier with fish. So it's cool that you brought that up. Insurance. And so well, here's why here's why we're coming out with another business fable. This is this is what we're trying to do. Number one, we've been doing leadership summits for private clients for, gosh, it's been almost ten years now. And so one of the things that I've realized when we do a book as a part of the summit is that a lot of people. They, a lot of people don't read leadership books or they might be intimidated. To, oh my gosh, if I got to read a 300 page book, I don't care. Just give me the cliff notes version. This is kind of, I mean, I don't have time for this or it's just too much. It's too much. But what I have seen is that people will not be so intimidated by a business story, a fable, and they'll get pulled into the storyline. Like, oh, this is cool. It's that's easy read. It's a short book. But then you have your concepts dribbled and sprinkled all through this, this storyline, and it's just easier for people to digest. And also, they see it in context. So they see this character or these characters, and they see the principles play out in this fable. And so that is why we are going with a business fable this time, because we wanted to share these ideas all about culture and how to create culture. There's levers that you can pull to move and change and grow and strengthen your culture. And that's what this is. Whether it's a team or an organization, the levers are the same. And so that is what the business fable is on. So Lyft is still coming out. And so if any of you have been wondering where in the world is Lyft, Lyft is actually, when we got to February and we were looking at that final manuscript, we just got to it and we said, no, it's not good enough. It's not what we want. And, and so we scrapped it. And we kept, obviously, the same core principles are there. But the whole storyline was rewritten again. And we've been working on that since then, just making it right. Because we don't want to come out with something fast. We want to come out with something great. And so That's right. we feel like we're, yeah, we feel like we're there. You've read it. You've read Lyft. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, uh, definitely, it's, it's definitely better than what it was last uh, December. And so yeah, now. Yeah, it's a great, we, easy um, read. And that's yeah. what I would stress. Fish is the same way. And there's several other like of this type books. They're pretty short. They're really, like you said, digestible, easy to read, great storyline. You can just grow to love these characters. But also what I love about a business table is that you can see yourself in the shoes of the characters yeah. of these yeah. business tables. And there's several in this category. Yours 
being my favorite, I would say. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. yes I'm still kind of sore that you won the book challenge, though. You still said fish. I, I can't get by. I appreciate you coming back on that. But um, so, yeah, so that's so that's exactly what we're trying to do. And so as we go now, I can say with some surety that the book manuscript has actually moved into the copy editing. The publishers sent it to the copy editors and the and the layout people and all the typeset people and all that stuff. So now we have a hard date. So we will be making more announcements in the next four weeks about the release date of Lyft. So stay tuned about Lyft. And we'll keep you posted. Danielle, thanks for being on the show. And we'll have you back for some more Enneagram Talks real soon. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes. And help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website. Join our email.